Hello and welcome to Bread for Life podcast. This is your host, Daniel Velasquez. I am uh, excited and grateful to be able to connect with uh, you again. I know it's been a little bit since I have put out any content. Um, I was traveling and then I was changing companies and life has just kind of gotten in the way. But I was compelled to make a message um, and put a, a podcast out um, because I, I, I feel like since 2020, um, the world has been un, under a different, um, it, it feels like things feel a little bit different. Um, a lot of people have left the church around that time. Um, I think God is bringing many new people to the church. And again, as I always say, I think there's a lot of, of voices uh, going on and it's uh, sometimes kind of hard to figure out um, what to listen to and, and what not to. Um, and, you know, the good news is that there are some things that don't change. Uh, we've talked about principles in this podcast before. We've talked about things that we can rely upon. And one of those things that we can rely upon that has endured the test of time is the word of God. Um and when we read John, which we did uh, in this podcast, we read how Jesus is the Word of God, how He is God Himself, how um, John basically reveals Jesus' identity by, um, you know, pointing out things that Jesus said about Himself in terms of who He was and made it very clear that. I and the Father are one, meaning that He is God Himself. Um, he is part of the Trinity, as we know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and when you hear these these uh, statements of who Jesus said He was, um, you know, even at that time when He was alive, He was. That's why they uh, they criticize Him often and. Um, they even uh, sought to stone him, uh, the, you know, the, the religious people, they wanted to kill him because of this grandiose statements that he was making. And, um, you know, some of them were like, hey, well, I am the son of God, right? Um, and not that this was necessarily blasphemy, but he was coming very close to it, right? So, um we, we have to make a conclusion about Jesus, right, and and about the Bible. I made a podcast very early on about that. There is a ton of evidence to validate that the Bible is a historical book. Um, you know, there's there's been um, things that could be lost in translation in the sense that we cannot say the, the exact same thing in a language at times as in another language. Um you know, the, a word could have multiple meanings in another language. Like if I try to translate from Spanish to English perfectly, it's just not possible to do that. But, you know, all of the Bible is translated from the original language, whether it was uh, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, uh, which were the three languages that it was written in, to whatever modern language uh, to try to keep as much as meaning as possible. We talked about... Um, how they bought they, they found the, the Dead Sea Scrolls um, and they one of the Dead Sea Scrolls contain uh, the full book of Isaiah which is one of the longest books in the Bible when we translate it from back then which was uh, basically hundreds I think over you know th over a thousand years that this these scrolls have been hidden um, very very long time and the meaning is exactly the same like the, the Bible that we have today is the same Bible, is the same uh, book that was written back then. Um, and so it's amazing to see how God has been able to preserve his word. And um, as I said before, the Bible is 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 a, is a book of stories, of, is a historical book. It's also a love letter because it shows us how God has made a way, which is a good news, um, through himself, through his son, Jesus Christ, for us to be able to have communion with him. Uh, which is why we even celebrate Christmas, right? And, and uh, you know, I hope that during this time, I know obviously it's good to be able to spend time with family and eat a lot of food and rest, but to seek just the presence of the Lord and, and spend some time with Him. So um, I think there's a lot of false teachers right now. Um, 
I think that the what happens unfortunately is is man transgresses the things of God and then God oftentimes is blamed for it. Um, I think it's very easy now for a priest to change what the Bible says to accommodate for certain beliefs, uh, for certain wants, because we, we, if we believe that the Bible is true, we have to submit to all of it. Um, and all of, and, and oftentimes in our flesh, we have certain desires that we don't want to give up. We have certain things that we would prefer to keep and, it's easier for a gospel that says, hey, well, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, God is uh, going to forgive everything because he loves you. And although this can be true, and is and it is true, God is love. He does not love. He is love. Because he loves, he's also just. Um, and... Because he loves and he just, he disciplines his children to help them to come back to, to him and to repent, which means to turn away from their sins so that they may uh, inherit salvation, right? And I want to be very clear and, and careful with what I'm saying because if you know anything about Christianity and if you're a Christian, the, the main thing that differentiates Christianity from any religion, uh, which in my opinion, it shouldn't even be as much as of a religion because it's more about the heart, which is what I'm going to talk about today. Um, and the, the paradigm shift that Jesus brought, which is not about actions, but you know, our actions should be consistent with what the Bible says that we should, how we should act because we love God in response to his love for us. Um, but, you know, God cannot oversee sin. He cannot ignore uh, sin. You know, he is just. So when we, if we are willingly, purposefully living in sin, uh, the Bible says that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins because we are essentially trampling over the, the, the blood of Jesus once we have come into knowledge, if you have come into knowledge of who Jesus is and, and what he's done. And you have decided to to still live your life um, in sin, willingly, purposefully, ignoring God in a way and what, in, in what he's done for you. Um, then it says in scripture, and I'm going to cover the verse, that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So you will not, it also says shortly after that, and this is all in Hebrews, that we will not see God unless we, we are holy. Um, and that's a very high standard. I, I definitely understand that, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily uh, the, the easy road, the wide path. It says that it's the narrow path um, to follow Jesus. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is in John fourteen six. Um, it is a worthy a calling. It, it is um, the best life that we can live. Um, and I just wanted to be very clear about about this point of of um, salvation and and kind of revealing a little bit more about who Jesus is and what He's done. So it's based on scripture so that we are clear because I don't want anybody to get lost um, and maybe be deceiving themselves thinking they're going to go to heaven because maybe they were told certain things um, when they when they're not if you know and and I just wanted to be very clear that if you are willingly living in sin after you've come to understand and know Jesus you will you will not see God um, so when we think about, um, you know, the, the Bible, the story that it gives us, right? And the, the, the old covenant, how that came about, um, you know, the law that was given to Moses for the Israelites. Um, and the new covenant, which is what Jesus has done, that in a way made those rules not be what 
you know, following these rules make make it be what gets us into heaven. Um, but you know, uh, Jesus's sacrifice, which is the ultimate sacrifice and faith, is what gets us into heaven. It's it's not by works; it's by faith alone. Uh, when I talked about the books of the Bible, I talked about a couple of books that were a little bit more uh, advanced, a little bit more mature. So John is a great intro book because although it can't be very deep with some of the things that it says, it just introduces who Jesus was, right? Um, and it's the things that I that I said before that. He is the good shepherd, that he's come to save the world, that through him uh, we can be saved, that he and the Father are one, um, that it, who, he who sees me uh, sees the one who sent me. That's in John twelve forty five. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. This is John eight twelve. 12. Um, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly is John 10, 10. So it's a great book to to come to understand who Jesus is and that he was faithful, that he was obedient to God until death. Um, and that's why he has made a way um, as being the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb who didn't sin. He lived like a man. He walked this earth. He was tempted like us, but he did not fall into sin. Um, and by him, him being God himself, coming to this earth, living like a human, being tempted like a human, but not giving in to sin um, like we all have done. He was um, exalted, and, and Hebrews talks about that too. So we're going to get into that, why it all makes sense, um, how it all connects, right? But also important for us to not deceive ourselves, to to take that uh, covenant lightly, um, and Jesus sacrificed lightly to think that we can just live in according to to whatever we think, um, and not what God has has established. Which the reason He's established, as we said before, even all the commandments is for our own good. Is because He knows better. He knows best, right? Uh, we could argue, well, I like stealing and I like killing, or you know, I think that. Uh, committing adultery is okay and in whatever fornication or uh, lying in certain circumstances is justifiable um, but it's clear in scripture that that it's not so um, you know it's it's a personal decision we have free will which is the beauty of it ever since God created man he's given us a chance he's given us free will um, because God didn't want robots right he didn't want he wanted a people that would choose him and that would live with him, that he could provide for, that he could care for, um, and that they could live in, in perfect communion with. But God is, is holy. That means he's set apart. He cannot commune with sin. He cannot live with these, these things. Um, and that's why when um, Adam and Eve decided to disobey God the one rule that he gave them which is do not eat from this fruit you can eat from any other fruit but not this one and the devil you know uh, the serpent came and tempted them and they decided to disobey God because they thought that they would become like God although they were already like God because they were made in his image so the serpent was tempting them with something that they already had that's another sermon for another time but you know they were deceived and the whole point is they, they, they realize that they're naked and they hide from God. They can no longer have that same open communion relationship that they had with God. God is, you know, looking for them. He realizes that they realize that they're naked. They're like, okay, well, you ate from the fruit. And there are consequences of that, which is they get banished from the Garden of Eden, which everything was provided for them. And man would have to now labor for his, for his own um, sustent and, and living and uh, women would have birth pains um, and again there's just you know consequences to that sin um, you know thankfully God will not strike us with lightning and kill us when we decide to disobey he'll give us another chance to continue our lives like Cain when he killed his brother Abel which was the first first murder on earth um, you know, Abel brought a, a sacrifice, a gift to God, and it, he was a shepherd, so he brought some 
some goats or some lambs that of his of the best that he could find and, and God found his sacrifice pleasing and Cain brought his own gift but God looked at his heart he saw that it was not the same and um, he accepted uh, Cain uh, Abel's gift but rejected Cain's we're going to talk about that because it was more about the heart and Cain uh, killed his brother and it says that the blood of Abel would cry out to God uh, since then, right? Uh, but Cain wasn't killed. He was actually put in a mark by God so that nobody would kill him. He was, in a way, condemned. His his punishment was just to wander, um, and he went off to somewhere else, and he married and had children. And, um, you know, it gives some details around his children, how uh, from some of them we had metal workers, which if you look to... Really old civilizations, I mean, there's, there's clear evidence that humans were not stupid. Um, like we've we've had, we've been able to do pretty amazing things for a long time, things that even now we don't really understand how how they pulled it off, um, and including working with metals that are said to be, um, you know, modern technology of this last millennium or, or whatever, and, it, and it's just not true. So um, anyways... Um, the good thing is God doesn't doesn't immediately kill us. He gives us an opportunity, right? And and he he allows us to, um, you know, to to live our lives, right? And he gives us that that gift of free will, um, where you know Cain decided to kill his brother. Eve decided to to listen to the serpent, and 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 uh, Adam decided to listen to 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 give in to the to eat the apple as well. So they each made a decision that created that sin, right? And the wages of sin, what sin creates is is separation, is death, right, from God. Um, it's not a, a physical, like we were just saying, death, right? Um, it's, it's spiritual. Um, and the only time that I can think of anybody kind of being killed on the spot is, is when they transgressed against... Um, the presence of the, the holiest place where the presence of God was on earth. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant um, and the holies section of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant then came into into being once the David, uh, or actually his son Solomon, built a temple for God uh, because beforehand, you know, when they were in the desert, they were always in tents. Um, more like nomadic tribe moving around and the priests would carry the, the the Ark of the Covenant around which carried the presence of God it carried the the tablets of stone in which the Ten Commandments were given um, and anyways that was brought into the Holy of Holies but other than that you know that's the only time where where God would would strike somebody down and people say well that's kind of harsh like how is it that that because of sin there's death and there's condemnation one way that I can try to explain it is uh, the sin the consequences is directly tied in proportion to the value of what it's being transgressed and what is being attempted against so if to make it a little more clear um, if I go and scratch an uh, old really old car that is not a classic it's just like I don't know a Toyota Tacoma from 1990 that you know nobody really cares about and i just go and i and i scrap and i let's just say i run into it and i demolish it completely it might be worth like five thousand dollars max right it's like hey the emotional value whatever but like nothing else happens like let's say there's no people in there like that's it right like it's all right like the insurance company will come in or whoever will come in and, and that's like how much they could be compensated for that for that loss or whatever um, if there is uh, a person in that car, right? Like immediately, obviously the value goes up, but let's, let's just stick with like the cars. Let's say it's a Ferrari, right? A Ferrari left Ferrari that's worth over a million dollars. If I run into that car, it's not going to be worth $5,000. It's going to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if it's totally worth over a million dollars, right? And it's the same accident. It's the same action. It's just the value that it's being done against because there's not that many of those cars that are hypercars, it just increases dramatically. So, you know, 
what do you think would be the price of attempting against something like God that is holy, right? Or even attempting against, let's just say there is uh, something in, on this earth that, wa- that would allow salvation for all of humanity and you destroy it. Like what would be the the consequence of that, the value of that, right? Like something, it's you can't even put a price on that, right? So, um, you know, the consequences of, of, of sin is death, which is why when the Israelites then came into becoming a people, they were brought out of Egypt. Um, you can look up um, Ron White, who... Uh, has found a lot of evidence for the the way that the Israelites took. Uh, they have found Mount Sinai. They have found uh, even a rock that looks like it was like that's like broken in the middle, right where it says that Moses struck a rock and it uh, popped open and started giving them water. Uh, they have found the remains of the Egyptians, so the uh, the place where they say that they crossed the of the chariots of the Egyptians um, where they crossed the, the, the Red Sea. Um, so anyways, there's evidence for all of this. You can look up um, archaeological evidence, clear physical evidence for all these things. Um, where was it going before that? So the, oh yeah, so the old the old covenant, right? When, when God came and he established the people finally he gave them some laws right we talked about those laws he even said hey uh one of your losses you gotta you gotta rest one of the days of the week you can work six days a week but you gotta keep the sabbath holy again meaning set apart for the lord as a day of rest so he also gave them commandments around festivals hey you're gonna have these festivals around the year um and it's gonna be to celebrate the events that have happened like me, you know, my relationship with you and, and choosing you, like Passover, where I kept your firstborn children by you putting the, the blood of the lamb on your doorstep. Um, and um, I'm going to create a day of atonement where I'm going to be able to forgive your sins. You bring me some bulls, doves, um, rams as sacrifice. There's going to be certain rituals that the priests, uh, which was a priest system back then, will perform and uh, I will accept those to atone for your sins, and I will forgive you and forget it. Uh, again, why is animal sacrifice? Because the penalty for sin is death. That doesn't change uh, against the holy God, and the animal essentially is replacing the person and dying for the sins of the people. Um, now, when Jesus came, right, he's the new covenant. He came into a virgin. Um, he come from a virgin, right? So God uh, sent an angel to a virgin, He's and, and he uh, the angel told Mary, who was basically a, a humble teenager who uh, accepted God, who she, she was already supposed to marry Joseph. And in that time, it was almost, uh, you know, very risky for her because if she was found out that she had become pregnant while being engaged to somebody, it would be grounds for her to be accused of cheating and being killed. Um, but, you know, Joseph also had a dream where God told him, hey, by the way, Mary, your fiance, she uh, will become pregnant. But no, it's not from anybody. It's, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will bear a child. And they did say name the child uh, Emmanuel. Uh, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us, which was prophesied about. So literally God came into the world through a virgin, um, you know, this girl that came from this town called Nazareth that nothing was supposed to come out come out of nothing good was supposed to come out of Nazareth so we again look at how God doesn't look at status he looks at uh, life in a different way and he looks at the heart and he picked this woman and uh, picked her to to carry Jesus the savior of the world so anyway so Jesus came he did not sin right he did not give into temptations like we discussed he focused more on the things of the spirit um and it, this was different um you know from what they were used to in his religion and his culture uh there is a story about him at the well with this woman and he's telling her that hey i can give you this water that um will satisfy and she's like well give me of this water so i don't have to come back to the well every day and um 
you know, he basically had revealed to her that he's like, well, why don't your, you, you and your husband come so I can give it to you? And, and she's like, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you don't have a husband. You've had ha five husbands and the one you're with right now is not your husband. She's like, oh, you're a prophet. Like, how do you know all of that? Um, and anyways, he just basically just is very forgiven of her, right? In terms of like not condemning her because the Jews were not even supposed to have contact with the Samaritans, which was the people that she was from, um, because the Jews that thought they were more clean, they were, you know, better. They were not supposed to mix in with these other people groups, but Jesus didn't care about that. Right. He, uh, he didn't condemn a, a woman that was found in adultery. He like healed all the sick. He looked upon the, the people that were rejected by most and, and, uh, and, and he had a heart for, for, for everybody. And, um, when the apostles come to him because they were going to get food, he's, they're like, he's like already ate and he hadn't eaten, but they're like, what do you mean that somebody, they thought somebody maybe brought him food, but he says, no, I have, I eat of this food that you do not know of. So Jesus spoke, you know, in parables, he talked about, you know, things more of the spirit, but they could have sometimes be interpreted in a way of him talking about physical. And, when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he completed the work, right? The, the last words that he said was, it is finished. So that's the good news, that it's, that it's not about actions. It's not about works that will save us or save somebody. Um, it's, it's what he did, right? And us believing in him. It's faith in who Jesus is and what he did, that he came, lived the perfect life, died, resurrected, um, and is now seated at the right hand of God that, you know, through his sacrifice, um, his blood, which was the ultimate sacrifice. Now there is no longer any condemnation for us that we can now have communion with him and that we have an inheritance in heaven and we can belong to him there. And, and I do want to talk about, you know, what, um, what it says in the Bible so we can gain some clarity, but, um, essentially it's not about a religious system anymore, right? It's not about, hey, these magical words, um, like, unfortunately, I, I got to tell you, there's no such thing as the sinner's prayer mentioned in the Bible. It's the heart of the sinner when he's saying that prayer that could save him. Um, you know, it's not about going to a building on Sundays. The church is really the people. It's not even about tithing. I mean, tithing is, is something that we were told that we should give back to God, but that's because we recognize that all good things come from God. And what he looks again is at the heart. So when the, there's a, this poor woman that gives like two coins and Jesus, you know, was watching everybody was giving, he's like, she gave more than all the other people that were given a lot more to be heard or, uh, you know, cause you could hear the coins hitting the thing because she gave everything that she had. Right. So, um, you know, he, he, God looks at the heart. He knows our heart deeply. He, he knows, uh, us really well, what we care about and what he cares about and what he wants is a people that will worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Not that, not the fake people, right? Um, where, you know, that's what Jesus would call out, uh, when he was living the Pharisees where he was like, well, you worship me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from, from me. Um, and we no longer have to bring any animals to sacrifice to God for our sins. Um, because Jesus was, Again, the ultimate sacrifice. And he was actually crucified the same day of Passover, which is the Day of Atonement. Uh, he fulfilled many prophecies while he was doing that. Like he was welcome to Jerusalem like a king. He was uh, riding a colt, which is kind of like a donkey, humble. Um, you know, and, and even then, you know, that's during that same trip, basically, that he went for Passover is when they're looking to, to kill him. He overthrows the tables at the temple because he was mad at that they had made made the the house of Lord something holy, a place of of commerce. He called him a thief of dens, and you know all these things that were kind of messing up the the business for the Pharisees of the religious leaders and uh, discrediting them because he would call them out directly. They wanted to kill him, and they couldn't come up with with something that that merit merited that. Um, so they captured him and. Essentially, they make him make him say that he is the Messiah uh, or like they ask him if he is and he doesn't deny it. And the Messiah was the king of the Jews supposed to be. So they're like, well, that's grounds for, uh, you know, blasphemy and, 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 
essentially now we can tell the Romans that this guy thinks of himself as the king of the Jews, which for the Romans that could be taken as an insurrection and could justify killing Jesus, right? But the the governor of Rome that was in charge of that region, Pilate, he could not find guilt in Jesus. Even when he analyzes the situation, he's like, well, I mean, I can't find anything that this guy has done. Um, and he's like, let his this man's blood be upon your hands because he had had a dream or his wife had had a dream and he, he didn't want to kill Jesus. Uh, but the Jews were like, yep, let this man's blood be upon our hands. And um, yeah, he was, he was sacrificed, right? And now the good news is that it's about grace. It's it's by faith alone that we are saved. It's not about works. We cannot do anything to earn our salvation. But we also cannot deceive ourselves by thinking that we can do anything and we will still be able to see God and be allowed into heaven. So when we think about the term Christian, probably 20 to 25% of the population of the world um, is said to be Christian in some way, right? Like the Roman Catholic Church is still Christian, which is a big portion of it. It's that That's the more religious system um, that as a Christian, I, you know, I, I clearly see that they are oftentimes not following scripture. They, you know, the fact that they have images, uh, pray to saints. I'm not here to condemn anybody, but if we go by the Bible, there's many things that are said clearly in the Bible that are not things that we should do. Um, and there's many things that have come out of it, right? Like, um, you know, there, these things were prophesied about and it's referred to in the Bible as well. But anyways, there's, there's really only a small percentage of the population that are, that are really Christians that, that are said to be Christians that are really true followers of Christ. Uh, another name or, or term that we can use for a true Christian is a child of God. And who are the children of God? Well, Jesus said himself who are those who do the will of my father is my brother and my sister and my mother because he was being asked hey well your family's here to see you he's like well who's my family those who do the will of my father in romans uh paul wrote in, the, in his letter to the romans that those who are led by the spirit of god are the children of god so what does that mean is those who submit to god not to their flesh is when jesus called calls us he says deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me Right. That means the first part he says is deny yourself. It means we cannot continue to to fulfill our own selfish desires, the desires of the flesh. We need to pick up our cross, which can mean dying to ourselves. Right. Dying to those things and follow him. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's again, it's a high standard. Right. We could say, well, who can do that? Right. I mean, you're asking for a lot here, Jesus. Right. And uh if we want to go to scripture, we'll actually see that the standard is holiness, right? And the thing is, it's impossible to do this by ourselves. It's impossible to follow God uh, and to follow Jesus in our own strength. Uh, we can only do it, again, when we surrender to him, which is very key, and we submit to the will of God and we seek him. Submit to the will of God means allowing him to, to like, obe obeying, right? Like, not giving into the desires of the flesh, seeking him um, and trusting that, you know, uh, having faith in him. And he is the one that works out salvation. When we do that, uh, we are transformed. That's why it says that we are born again. That's what Jesus said. Nobody that is not born again. Like when, when Nicodemus said, hey, well, how do I go into heaven? He said, well, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, how is that possible? Can a man go back into into his mother's womb? And Jesus is like, no, 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 not you were born from water. Now you need to be born from the spirit, right? So you you were born physically. Now you need to be born again in the spirit. So um, I'm going to go to scripture because I want to back this up, these claims that I'm making. I know there's a big debate of whether salvation can be lost or not. And some people say, hey, well, you know, the people that continue to sin, they were just never really saved and they just never really knew. And it's not that we can lose our salvation. And I, I would disagree with that. I think somebody can come into know, knowing God. They can to come to following God and being obedient to him. But then they can also decide to not do that anymore and, and live their own life and lifestyle. And um, God will give us a chance if we repent from that, meaning turn away from that. And we recognize our sin and we, we turn away from it and come back to him 
um, I do know that God is merciful and graceful to give us back uh, our salvation. Uh, but I want to go to Scripture. And if you're struggling with sin, uh, that's not necessarily bad. That means that you are, in the key word there, to struggling. Like, um, you know, I'm not here to condemn people. Like, I understand we all have different battles that we're facing. Um, but I, I am here to also just speak the truth. And what is written in Scripture is that we we must walk a straight path, right? Um we must walk in righteousness. That's what God requires from us, right? Is, 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 is this, is to walk righteously and justly before him. And he gives us a promise that he will gather us, he will save us, he will provide us, he will support us, he will help us. He's not going to leave us alone in this path, right? He's, we're, we're never alone. It can feel like you're alone, but you're not. Um, but if you're not struggling at least with sin, then that's a bad indication. If you've come to terms and you're at peace with living sinfully that this is where this should be a wake-up call for you to realize that hmm maybe maybe you're desensitized to it right because when you become a christian god moves in you to where you don't know you no longer desire the same things that you desire you don't want to do the same things that you did before and you can ask real christians because when you do do something that is not in accordance to what god says you'll feel it the holy spirit will will let you know hey this is not okay right if you're not feeling that, if you're sinning, you're not feeling that, that could be an, an indication that something's wrong. So, um, you know, because people will say, well, I don't feel anything wrong. I mean, I feel at peace. I'm, I'm, you know, everything's working out. God also said, do not envy the, you know, the, the riches of the wicked, you know, like just because, you know, you, you don't follow God or whatever doesn't mean that it's going to go poorly for your life. Quite the opposite. Many of the people that follow God uh, on the exterior are maybe going through a lot of hardships and trials, right? And, and God allows for, for these things to happen as well. But not nowhere, um, not ever will he allow for us to be tempted beyond what we can handle, right? So he is, also gives us these promises that he is faithful, that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond, beyond what we can handle, right? So he will come through for you. And it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, Right? Um, but the reason this is important is because again, we were going to, we're all going to die one day. Right. And, and this earth will pass away, which is what we're also going to read about here in, in a moment in Hebrews. And I'm just getting it all out because the Bible then itself, I, I don't need to explain anything on the Bible. I, I'm just going to read it directly from the text and you can corroborate this. If you have a Bible, I'm using the English standard version to, you, you know, not, you know, uh, which is just. Uh, standard modern English basically is what it was translated into, and uh, you can you can you can read along with me to to see what is what the Bible says. But um, you know, God compares a, a human life like a like vape to vapor to to a flower that is here one season and gone in the next to a breath. It's not long, right? But eternity is long, and this is why it's important that we walk the narrow path, although it can be difficult, right? Um, so let's start with Hebrews, uh, seven, 18. Um, he, here, it, Paul is talking about Jesus, who was a, a priest under the order of Melchizedek, um, who was said to be a priest of the most high God who met Abraham. And, um, anyways, um, you can read that if you want, but I'm just going to read from verse 18. I'm going to read until chapter the end of, of Hebrews chapter 13. So just a few chapters. Um, they're, they're not like super long. It shouldn't be more than 30 minutes. I know this is probably going to be one of my longest podcasts ever, but, uh, you know, but um, I think it's, it's worthwhile. So uh, Hebrews 7, 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, talking about the the law and the, the, the first covenant. Um, verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. 
This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first to his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises." For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have not there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So that was chapter 8. We're about to get into chapter 9. Uh, moving relatively quickly here. Um, and you can always go back and, and you know study it, look at it in more detail. But this part where he's talking about the, the he will uh, put his loss into their minds and to their hearts and he will be their God. This is what's coming. This is when when the new covenant will actually be um, what do you call it, consummated in Jesus' second coming when he establishes uh, the new Jerusalem. At that point, we won't need to have any more you know, priests or anything like that or anybody to teach us or pastors because by then God will have uh, inscribed his law into our hearts, into our minds, and you know we will basically no longer sin and he will not no, no longer remember our sins. Um, and we will be able to live in communion with him then. Um, and there is a promise for the, the Israelites here because um, God will make himself known unto them, although right now they still, the majority of them reject Jesus. Um, in the final times, you know, Jesus will appear to everybody, so they, they will have, um, they will realize it's, it's uh, I think it's in Zechariah, a promise where, Many of them will turn their hearts towards him, towards God, um, once they go through tribulation. All right, chapter 9, the earth holy place, the earthly holy place. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that was budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. 
These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing the ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking the taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with, the f with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So here he's describing how the old system would work, right? And how it's uh, kind of it's it's symbolic for the present age, and how it's gonna there's it's gonna pass away, it's gonna be taken out, and uh, the new one is gonna be established. Redemption through the blood of Christ. But when Christ appeared as a, this is verse eleven in chapter nine. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify our consciousness, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not, on, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all in the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I'm going to skip a little bit of, of chapter 10, but it says uh, how Christ, when he came into the world, said that God did not please uh, himself. He didn't desire sacrifices and offerings. Um, and... Because the the wages of sin is death, this is why the, there had to be some sacrifices and burnt offerings to God. But Jesus coming and, and being obedient and being that ultimate sacrifice, that Lamb of God, um, is creating a new covenant, right? So this new covenant um, is is where we are at now. And it's it hasn't come into full... Um, establishment in on earth because it says in chapter 10 that and those in the covenant once it's done that he god will put um i will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds and then he adds i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more so this is coming for when jesus is come comes back again and sets up the new earth right and the new jerusalem where we can all live together uh, and all brothers and sisters, uh, all those that are death in Christ from all nations, from all places of the world, from all races, 
we're all going to come together and and live together in in that city. But I want to go to uh, verse 26. And uh, let me just let me just, just do verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have conf confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who prom promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is the day referring to when Jesus comes back, when he uh, finalizes setting up, um, you know, his covenant with in the new earth. Now, this is verse 26, which is what I wanted to read and where it says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So this is chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. It's very clear there. Verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So it's very clear here, you know, and, and, and Jesus said, said it like when we, when we um, disrespect, let's just put it in those terms, the spirit of grace, the spirit of God, um, and we profane in a way by, by sinning willfully what Jesus has done for us, um, then we are trampled underfoot his, what he's done for us. And that sin, there no longer remains uh, forgiveness. There no longer remains um, grace, right, for that. So when we have done this, we need to repent and truly, truly cry out and repent to God uh, in faith because that's the only way, right? And that's what chapter 11 then goes on to 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 talk about is um, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, not seen, for by the people of all received the commendation. And he talks about how... Um, Okay, verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You know, what's interesting is that now science is corroborating a lot of the things that are said in the Bible, like how this universe is not made by things that are visible, right? Like there is a, a huge spectrum and the spectrum that we get to see, which is the light spectrum, is very small in comparison. Um, but there, you know, there's a lot that we don't see. We don't see the spiritual world that is very real. Um, if we go into the quantum uh, field, you'll see that an atom, the space between the electron and the proton is, is massive, right? And it's, it's more energy it, rather than, than, you know, solid. And it's all energy that, that moves. It's all made out of, out of the unseen. And it talks anyways about faith, right? How different people throughout the, the Bible, um, Abel, by faith, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, how... Um, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. By faith, people, you know, they cross the Red Sea. By faith, Moses was hidden. Um, and he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ. Yeah, verse 26 in chapter 11. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And as and we see this in many in many places, in many uh, places of the Bible. And it's cool because um, even it says that they didn't even see those things come to pass at times. Right. Like Moses didn't enter into the promised land. Um, you know, Abraham didn't see the new Jerusalem. But they had faith 
um, and when they are brought back, right, um, when we are all in heaven, like they're, they're going to eternally enjoy uh, being in the presence of God. And then chapter 12 uh, just talks about Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, which um, I don't want to want to read completely either. Uh, but he talks about how my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor, nor be wary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So. Um, and then verse 12, therefore lift up your, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everybody and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So in verse four, 14, it, it reinstates that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Then it says, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So that's very powerful, you know, and, and it talks about the root of bitterness because it's easy for us as humans when we say, well, we have these, we have the flesh, we have these desires um, and to get angry at God, right? To say, hey, well, I'm living in, in this in this way where I'm denying all these things. And, and it says here, be careful with the root of bitterness that could spring up and cause trouble for you because and by, by it, many become defiled. And we need to understand that God does not do this to make our lives miserable, right? He just knows that this is uh, for us to not be defiled, right? Um, and sexual immorality of any kind is set to to be different from other sins in the sense that it stays with the body, right? So, you know, here it gives even a lesser example when Esau sold his birthright for a single meal, right? And he was said to be unholy, right? Because of that. So if we have received an inheritance by God that is beautiful, right, which is to live with him forevermore in perfect communion, in peace, in joy, we cannot even imagine what it's like, right? We should not, you know, give that away for something as small as a single meal, right? For something as small as the fleeting pleasures of sin, or something as small as, you know, going willfully into sin, and then it says that even though he wanted to inherit that blessing, then he was rejected because he found no chance to repent. So now I just want to encourage you, right? Like to actually seek God and repent if you are walking in sin and make your path straight because you will not see God otherwise. Um, I will read the last part of verse of chapter 12 from verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire in darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Sion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. These quotation marks this is the promise of God. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For God is a consuming fire. Wow. And you know, what's interesting. It says that Moses trembled with fear when he came into the presence of God at, at the mountain. And he did not do the same thing when he was in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at that time, telling, telling him, let my people go. 
So we need to understand that God is a consuming fire. He's he's a righteous judge. He he is, you know, worthy of reverence and all. And this is a worthy calling. It is difficult, but it is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God, which is to to deny ourselves, right? To love one another. To that's what it talks then in chapter 13, right? Is how do we actually show our appreciation? What are the sacrifices that are pleasing to God? And it's it's not living in fear. It's knowing that the Lord is my help. It says, so we can confidently say, 13.6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know what's beautiful is when you when you have God, you no longer fear anything. You don't no longer even fear death precisely because you know that if you die, then you go to heaven, right? So what can we fear about man or, or anything that happens on this earth, right? We have Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, we know he is trustworthy. We know he will not change. We know his promises will be fulfilled because they've been fulfilled so many times. And God is faithful, right? So we can put our faith in him, right? And at the end of the day, that's where we receive our peace. It says at the very end, now the, the, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory be forever and ever. Amen. So, amen. This is, again, just the reinstatement that it is not in our own hands that we can do this. It is God himself, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, who will equip us with everything good that we may be able to do his will. And you know what? It is said that it, this is so that nobody but may boast. That he gives us both the desire and the ability to do his will. Right? So nobody can say, hey, well, I'm good and you're not because I decided to follow and I was able to. No. The way that we are able to is because God allows us to. Is because he makes, he gives us a desire and the ability to do it. And it's in submission to him. It's when we surrender to him, when we recognize and we let go of the things that are holding us back and we recognize, hey, we can't do it alone. And we ask for him humbly, right? When we repent truly and God is faithful. God is, God is good. He can, he can restore you. He will restore you and he can do anything, right? Like there is no limits to what God can do with your life, right? And I, I think there's many people that maybe have feel like they feel like stuck, right? Um, and this is because you, you may be living in the same way that you've been living, right? And you want breakthrough, you know, like do do the things that God is calling us to do. And it takes time, but you will see God move amazingly in protecting you. And, and there will be coming very soon a time of shaking, okay? And I don't want to get doomsday on you because I know there's many people that do that and on YouTube and everywhere. And look, the world is still going on and it's 2023 and they've been saying the world is going to end since 2012 or before that and still here, right? Sure, it's all true. But we've been in the end of times for a long time. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back, okay? I'm not saying, hey, Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, right? Like, But we are seeing the, the signs of the end and, and, and Jesus did say, hey, nobody knows the end of the, the, the day or the hour, but we can know the the signs of the end of times. So that we may be awake, as he says, do not, you know, you're, you're not going to, do not be somber and sleeping and, and people, the world is going to get caught off guard. You know, everybody's going to be thinking everything is fine and dandy and then it's going to come upon them, right? Like the birth pains. So we're now seeing the birth pains. Um, I do think that we'll continue to see more and more things coming about the world. I think next year we're going to see a lot of famine um, in the world, which is the, you know, one of the things that Jesus said in Matthew when he said about the signs of the time of the end is, hey, there was going to be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, and then famine, right? And I think that's the next thing that we're about to see. And then war, uh, the end, you know, the things that will come up, up, up after that, which is establishment of peace. The person that will establish peace on earth will be the Antichrist. It's going to be a fake peace. People will have to follow him. Um but, you know, Jesus will come for his church at some point, right? But it says that he's going to be coming for his people who are eager, eagerly awaiting him. And you know why they will be eagerly awaiting him? Because they will have been going through trials and tribulation. So if you see things coming upon the world, don't be discouraged. Just know that God is still in control. And God is allowing these things because he wants people to seek him, to be in communion with him. 
and to follow him and to and to worship him. And it's not about actions. Again, it's about your heart, right? He knows you intimately. He loves you more than you can love him and think that he can love you. And he cares for you. He wants you to 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 live in communion with him. Um, but he cannot do that if you're living in sin. So I hope this message serves you well. Um, I, I know that it was a, a lot to digest that we discussed, but you know, once we, we seek the word of God, there, all the answers are there, right? That's how God has made it clear for us. Um, and you know, the Hebrews is, is one of the a little tougher messages, right? But, but it's, it's so encouraging again, because we, we gain that understanding and then we have that confidence as well. Um, and yeah. I, I hope that, that you can seek God more closely moving forward in 2024 um, and that he may show himself to you and, and uh, you may be able to walk in, in his paths for your life. And um, in future podcasts, I'm, I may do a series based on sermons from Charles Stanley, who is uh, a pastor that passed this year. Um, and he was a very wise man, somebody I looked up to, and I have some notes from his sermons that I think could be really uh, useful and powerful for people to to know. Um, and also, we can continue to talk about principles. So I look forward to it, and I wish everybody a happy new year. <laughs>